Good morning, church. Good seeing you today. I want to welcome you in Victorville out as well. Other folks out in Apple Valley and Hesperia are grateful having you here today. Pastor Todd is not here. I know we're sad by that, but the good news is he is recovering and it is, yes, we can praise that. He is planning to be here next weekend and that is our goal. So be praying that that takes place. We just on behalf of the family and the staff, we appreciate your prayers for our pastor. We appreciate you just reaching out to our Lord, bringing him up to your attention, and just uh, we're excited that he's feeling better. So keep praying. We want him here next week. We There's the intro video. We're heading into the Christmas season. I want to raise a hand on all of our campuses. How many of you have all of your Christmas decor and lights up? Let me see your hands. See, all those people are very proud of themselves. And at whatever campus you're on, take Matt, Tim out in Hasbro, just take notes because mine aren't yet, so I'm looking for volunteers to come help, so good. I just want to get the names, people who might be available times that yours is already done. We're excited about that. But we are heading into this Christmas season. That new Christmas video bumper talked about this idea of leading lines. In photography, leading lines are those lines that visually draw the attention of the, of the observer to a focal point, to the subject of the matter. In music, our leading lines are those lines in songs that, again, do the same thing. They take our attention and point it to the subject. So it's only natural when we come to this season, we go to Christmas, we talk about Christmas carols and all of those songs, and we recognize they have leading lines designed to point our attention to the main subject, which is the arrival of Jesus Christ. But as we look at these carols, a lot of times there aren't merely sentimental thoughts about Christmas. They're actually calls to action to lead us to a moment where we say we're going to do something with what we have learned. And so in December, we are going to share with you leading lines from well-known carols and hopefully challenging you to prioritize what those are in your life over what is happening around you. Because we know Christmas is a frenzy. Christmas is crazy, it's hectic, it's wild, and so often we can get lost in the midst of Christmas and miss the person of Christmas. So these leading lines this series are meant to draw our attention back to the subject of what we're here to talk about. So that you can listen and you can behold and you can go and then you can make room for Christ in new ways this Christmas season. Today on all of our campuses, we sing the very first one of those leading lines in our Christmas carol. This is in your notes, just the first four stanzas. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. This song was written by a man named Charles Wesley in 1739. He was walking through the streets of London on the way to a Christmas morning service. And as the bells were ringing through the sky and the streets were resonating with the sounds of these beautiful instruments, he thought to himself, we need to listen again to what the angels had to say. And that is why when he penned those words, the leading lines are, hark the herald. Now we don't talk that way anymore, but those words really are pretty easy to understand. Hark is a Middle English word meaning to listen. And herald is a word that simply means a messenger that is meant to bring news. Typically news of what is about to happen. So the leading line in this carol is simply, listen to the message the angels gave. Because it's really important. So that's what we're going to do. We are going to hark, we are going to listen. And maybe listening to this carol, at least that line before, we're gonna learn something more about the Christmas story and then be challenged to do something with it. 
If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke. That's in the New Testament. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. We'll start reading in a minute in verse 1. And in this story we're going to unpack, we're going to see Luke takes us, first of all, into Bethlehem, and we, we enter into the city itself, into this manger, and then eventually he will take us outside of the city into the hillside, where we interact with the shepherds and angels. And in that moment, see where heaven and earth collide in a most amazing way. But let's start first in the manger. This is God's word to us, starting in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he, he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time for the the baby to be born came, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. If you are new to the story of Christmas, and it's possible that you are, not new to the idea of Christmas, not knowing, maybe not new to the idea that Jesus was born, but now this is the first time you've dug into this passage, I want you to know that this is not a fable, this is not a myth. Caesar Augustus indeed had a census that he took. Quirinius was indeed the governor of Syria. Bethlehem was a town, and it actually still is a town in Israel, and Jesus Christ was born there in a very humble place. You know, we grew up in our society and so much of Christmas is manufactured, it's invented, it seems like. But this first Christmas, that's the real deal. This actually happened. And I love as we read through this passage here, what Luke details and what he doesn't. The author writes, and he doesn't share what the townspeople think, he doesn't share what the innkeeper said, the local officials, the government. He doesn't even share what Mary or Joseph said in that moment. He just simply describes this. I think that's fascinating as we kind of get ourselves into the Christmas story. In a moment, we're going to talk about the detailed description that he gives of the angels and the shepherds and how they arrive on the scene. And he gives very strong details about that. But here, it almost looks like a very straightforward matter of fact, almost like a newspaper article. Here's just the facts. I'm thinking, why is that? When Wendy and I uh, were living up in Oregon, we had our firstborn child going to be born. I was a rookie. I don't know if the rest of you guys, but I was pretty clueless. My wife had to kind of carry the load in that first baby's delivery process. And so we go to the hospital, and we, we check in, and we get into the room, and now we, now we wait because the doctor's not there. And so what do they do? They call that, we'll call the doctor. He'll be in in a moment. So they call the doctor, Dr. Sargent. He was great. And eventually he shows up and he walks in the room and I still remember the moment he walks in and how are y'all doing today? And my wife obviously is in pain. Um, but you know, he's checks and okay. And then he uses the word, let's see how you're progressing. And he comes around and he does the things that he does and he says, you're progressing well. I'll be back in a couple hours. And I'm thinking to myself, I pay a lot of money. I know I do to have this doctor. I kind of want you in the room with me because if something crazy happens, I'm not going to be able to help much. I'll probably just pass out. But he just leaves. And then two hours later, yeah, yep, still progressing. I'm like, this is crazy. Now the nurses, they're in the room with us the whole time. 
right? They're great. But I'm, I'm looking at that moment, and I'm like, what about the epidural? My wife needs one too. Because I'm thinking, I saw what some of those did for people. I'm like, I want one of those. You stand outside of the bed, you know, cheering your wife on, your back gets sore. It's tough, ladies. It's a real thing. So now they hate me. I know, bring it on, bring it on. All the campuses, bring it on. It was a joke. I didn't do this in real life. I'm, that's why I'm still alive today. Thank you. But it's like, you're crazy because they're not taking care of what you think they should do. And I, and I bring that story up mainly because it's super funny. But I bring it up because we get to this story and Luke doesn't share anything really about the birth. Why is that? Luke's a doctor. Luke has seen tons of babies born. He reveals, he just deals with this like, yeah, they came to Bethlehem, the time was accomplished, the baby to be born, the baby was born, she wrapped him in cloth, put him in a manger. That's a doctor talking. What's fascinating is the, week, the chapter before in Luke 1, he goes into a major deal about the virgin birth because that is very not natural, that is supernatural. And so he goes, you guys aren't gonna catch this. I gotta explain to you this whole virgin birth idea. And he goes through the whole story of Mary. It's fascinating. But here when it comes to just the birth, he just simply says, this baby came. Very natural. And yet this was the most fantastic moment in human history up to that point in time. And he just simply wants the audience that's reading to know the natural met with the supernatural. God came in human flesh. And I don't need to say much more because he's a doctor. The rest of the series, we're gonna unpack part of this story more, I know, but that at least gives you a factual account of this birth. If, you're not, if it's new to you, it's a story of Jesus is new. I wanted to at least give you that background before we jump into the rest of our time together because now Luke goes from this moment in the manger and he takes us to this moment in the hillside out in the hills of Bethlehem. So let's jump into this moment together, starting verse eight. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that it will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David is a Savior who has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Here is the heart of what we listen to, what we hearken to, those herald sings. This is that miracle where, in a sense, heaven and earth collide, this moment where they've been waiting for, for a thousand years to this, this compromise, this, this, this birth being happened here. And we come to this moment, it first starts out by telling us the shepherds are in the outskirts of Bethlehem. They're in the hills, keeping watch over their flocks. Another way to say this is they are keeping the watch of the nights. In other words, these shepherds, we don't know how many there were, but they're in the fields and they would basically take turns. History tells us about a three hour block of time, they would go on a rotation to watch and protect those sheep from wild animals or from thieves. It's a very normal part of ancient life. In fact, if you go to Israel today, there were still those shepherds out on the hillsides around the entire country. And the nature of shepherds is such that they are constantly separated from the communities and the cultures for long periods of time. They spent a lot of time alone with their animals in very remote places because that's where the best food was found. 
They were socially and spiritually isolated too because they weren't around. They weren't able to participate in all the normal activities that many others did in the society of that time. And because they were socially outcast in some ways and spiritually removed, a lot of the Jewish people and especially the Jewish leaders looked at them with suspicion. They were seen almost as thieves and they doubted their character. They were lumped together with tax collectors. In fact, one third century rabbi left no doubt about his opinion when he wrote, there is no more despised occupation in the world than that of shepherds. No more despised occupation. So that begs the question, why would God send this amazing announcement that the world has been waiting to hear to a group of outcasts. Why go to them? When parents today, and I've been a part of this just observing, when parents today um, consider sending out baby announcements, it's quite a process. I'm relatively old, back in the day we just handed someone and said we had a baby. We're still very excited about that, but it isn't quite the process it is today. Now there's all baby announcement strategy. And I did a very, again, you can blame me later, I Googled baby announcement ideas. And man, that is a hole, a rabbit hole you don't wanna go down. <laughs> there is a lot of stuff explaining all the various ideas you could do for baby announcements. But what was most fascinating as I was reading through most of them is actually lots of them are pretty epic. Like, I was like, hey babe, do you wanna? And my wife said, no, we're not having more babies. It was amazing though, because there's all these really cool ideas, but my point of bringing that up is that as you have announcements, you don't typically take your baby announcement, whether it's digital or physical, whatever it might be, and like stand in line in Costco and say, hey, we're having a baby, here you go. I know we don't know each other, but here's a, hey, we're having a baby. We're having a baby. They look at you really weird. Now they'll take a sample from anyone, but they will not take a baby announcement. <laughs> just ain't gonna happen. And that just makes sense. Because there's two people you send a baby announcement to. Either they're people you care about deeply or they're people that care deeply about you. Now the goal is those people hopefully are many of the same times, the same people. But the point is there is a relationship here. And I look at this scene here where the shepherds receive this amazing message, these outcasts from society. And you're like, why God would you go to them? I think it makes a statement that God cared deeply about these shepherds. He cared about them, and these shepherds cared deeply about God. And they would take the announcement and do something with it. They would listen to those angels. You see, despite the cultural perspective of those shepherds of being socially and spiritually impoverished, the New Testament paints a picture of shepherds that's very different than that. Shepherds that have this standing in society. And I think there's a reason for that. This last weekend, we finished our series in Ruth and walked through that story. And if you remember that story at all between Boaz and Ruth, what city did they live in? Bethlehem. And if you remember the story, the book keeps unfolding. We get to the end of the story and you realize that Boaz and Ruth had family and they raised their entire home there in Bethlehem. And then Ruth's great-grandson was born named David. David was born there. He grew up and eventually he would be king over the people of Israel. But before he was king, what was his profession? He was a shepherd. A shepherd. 
David tended his flocks on the same hills that the shepherds of this story tended their flocks. There is a connection, I think, to this moment of why these shepherds were blessed with this because there's a legacy to this. I don't think it's surprising the shepherds got the news. I think in God's eyes, it was the perfect audience to receive this first announcement coming from heaven. Verse nine, the angels of the Lord, the angel, excuse me, singular of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. Look how he describes that. An angel appears, God's glory shines, and then people freak out. All the way through the Bible, that is the normal happening. Angel appears, glory of God is revealed, people just lose their minds. And it's interesting that, that Gabriel, probably the angel here, because he's been this, the angel re- giving these messages regularly in this series, of, of conversations with people. He comes on the scene, the glory surrounds him, and that idea of glory really has two elements to it. This is in your notes. Glory involves both weight and brilliance. The, the, the Hebrew word for glory, kavod, is the idea of weight. It's like when you see the glory of God, it just hits you. It's like, I'm not sure I can handle being in the presence of this. And doxa, the New Testament word for glory, is this idea of brilliance and beauty and, and light. The shepherds are overwhelmed by the surrounding presence of God's glory and they are now wigging out, they're freaking out because this is getting to them in deep and powerful ways and look how it does, what it does to them. It grips them, it says here, with fear. It says they were terrified. That one word terrified is the best way we can translate this passage but in the original language there's actually three words defining this. It is they feared a big fear, a great fear. Luke is just trying to say, this, these was not, this was not like a, a small fear they're dealing with. They were terrified. Their, their knees were rattling. Their heart was pounding. They were debilitated by their fear. These guys were a wreck because of what had just happened to them. And now comes the message. Put yourself in their sandals. They're on the hillsides of Bethlehem. Recognize there's no electricity. So when you say in the night and they're keeping watch of their flocks at night, there's no city lights around. People are asleep. You might have a candle or two in a room, but it's basically a pitch black evening. And an angel shows up, comes and and above them on the ground, the glory of God shines around them. The light just boom, blows up. They've never seen anything like this in their life. How would you do? Be terrified. Let's look, at the, look what the message is here. Verse 10. The angel said to them, and I love this, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Here is the leading line for this message. This is what we're supposed to hearken our ears to. I bring you good news. Five words that change the trajectory of the lives of these shepherds and those same five words change every human soul who reaches out to God in faith. 
You cannot miss this. And what's interesting in the time of Christmas, there are so many amazing things happening. We look at the what happened, we're like, that is crazy, that happened, that's crazy. But we have to remember, this is about who happened. Jesus Christ comes down from heaven. And the angel says, I want you to not just know what cool things happen. This is now who is happening. And then he describes for us in this text here, three clarifying titles he gives to Jesus that as we will unpack the, the end of this message, they actually relate to you and me very closely. First, he says, Jesus is savior. Jesus is the savior. In this moment of human history, Caesar Augustus is ruling. And Caesar Augustus actually called himself savior of the world. That is in our history books. He was a savior in his own mind because he provided this Pax Romana, this peace over the Roman Empire. And he thought to himself, if I could provide such stability, I must be a savior. And look to me for your salvation. He would tell the Roman people. But he was wrong. The Stoic philosopher, philosopher Epictetus said this, while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which man yearns more than even for outward peace, end of quote. We have no reason to believe this stoic philosopher of the time was somehow a follower of Jesus, but he lived long enough to know that no human could provide what only God is meant to do to save us. The angel says, I bring you good news. Jesus will be a savior to meet humanity's greatest need. Jesus came to deliver his people from the power of guilt, from the sting of sin and death. Jesus came so that he might allow us to know God, to make atonement between us and the God of the universe so that we could be provided a way back to him. He also, the angel calls Jesus Messiah. That word Messiah is a Hebrew word, it's the same word we use for Christ. So when you say Jesus Christ, Jesus is his name, Christ is his title, meaning anointed one. The same, Messiah, Christ, the same meaning. And that idea of anointed one is at the root of this, and usually it is an anointing to a special task, usually to a king, and almost always as God's agent. This whole David story in Bethlehem kind of links all the way through because if you remember a thousand years prior to the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, there was a young boy who had a moment like this. Samuel came to town, Samuel said, was sent by God and God said, I need you to anoint the next king over Israel. And he comes to a town, and he, he meets Jesse. He goes into Jesse and he starts looking, I'm supposed to come here and anoint one of your sons. Jesse had a boatload of sons and they started going through each one of them and that guy looked great. That guy looks, oh, he's strong, he's smart. None of the, the sons qualified and God said, no, that's none of them. So Samuel says to Jesse, do you have any more sons? He goes, well, I got the run of the litter. He's out in the field shepherding the flocks. Samuel says, bring your son, bring him in here. And David walks in the door and God says to Samuel, that's the boy. Anoint him. Make him king over my people. And now we come to Bethlehem a thousand years after this. And Jesus Christ now is the anointed one, the Messiah. He will not only become king over the people in a human way, he is already king over his people in an eternal manner. 
And the angel wanted us to understand that. That we could trust this king who will deliver his people, he will lead his people, he will guide you and I in truth and grace. And the third title the angel scribes is Lord. That word Lord of the New Testament, kurios, is the term we usually translate for the word Yahweh. You've heard that word probably around church before. It's just basically saying Jesus is God. God of the universe. God who is sovereign over the nations, over all people, over all tribes. Heaven and earth. This God rules in righteousness and wisdom. Causing everything to bring him glory and praise. The angel's leading line was, I bring you good news. But that good news is that Jesus is at one moment and for always Savior, Messiah, Lord. And in those three titles, we find our hope in him. I put it this way in your notes, through Jesus as our Savior, your fears can be eradicated. If he is our savior, then your fears can be removed out of your life. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. Literally, stop fearing. These people were shaking in their boots, these shepherds. But I think it was more than just the glory of God around them and then the radiance of the presence of God around them. I think there's something more going on here. Because when the shepherds were watching this happen, they see this angel, they've never seen one before, we don't think, especially the way they reacted. And the glory was overwhelming, the moment was overwhelming, but these guys are also students of the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. And almost every time an angel shows up in the Old Testament, that angel is bringing judgment to people. So when the angel showed up on the scene, I also think that they're thinking to themselves, "Uh uh-oh, I've read how this goes. They're going to do something to punish me for my sin. They have been told their whole life they were sinners and thieves and useless. And now this angel comes and now there's gonna be judgment for their behavior. And that's why it's so beautiful that the angel says here, don't be afraid. I know you probably are afraid because every time we come down here, we tend to tend to take care of business because God wants us to judge and punish people for what they've done, but not today. I bring you good news. That is our good news as well, people. Because in Christ as our savior, the punishment from sin has been eradicated. 1 John 4.17 says this, this is how love is made complete among us so that we have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Perfect love drives out fear. Uh, A fully mature love removes that from our life. But I'm sure you're like me. That love is not perfect yet. The love that I have from God is still in process. It is growing. It is developing. 
But the more my love for God grows and develops, the more the fears that tend to control my life start to dissipate. And if you feel like perhaps fears are still controlling your life, I first of all don't want you to feel like a failure. Fears are sometimes things we just have to work over in time. But I also don't want you to think that where you are today is where you have to stay. God is our savior. He came to save us so that there is good news and we can rest in that. That the fears that we face do not have to control our lives. That our love over him can then be expressed to others. You have fears in your life, I'm sure you do. I have my own. Fear of being alone. Fear of the unknown. Fear of being discovered somehow. The fear of standing up for God and being ridiculed. The fear that you're not gonna stand up for God and be rejected. You and I have fears in our life that are always at a risk of controlling us. And the angel says to us, just as he says back then, stop fearing. Your savior has come. Your savior has arrived and the fears that control your life no longer have to do that because the penalty for the punishment has been dealt with in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We come to God who is a savior. Secondly, through Jesus, our Messiah, not only is he our savior, he is our Messiah and as Messiah, your joy and my joy can be restored. This joy was for all the people. There was a, an expectation that when God comes as Messiah, as king, there would be joy. And I've known the Lord in my life for a long time. I accepted Christ into my life, received the gift of salvation when I was a young kid. So it's been a lot of years. And some of you might have known God a long time as well. I wanna let you know, you might be able to look back and think, if you will with me, what the joy was like when you first came to know Jesus Christ. When you know that sin that you have been fighting for has been forgiven and now that you're made right with the Savior. What was it like when you realized that you didn't have to lead your own life anymore, that the God of the universe has a plan for you that is so much bigger than what the plan you had for yourself? Do you remember the joy? I hope you had joy, because it's amazing. But it's easy to lose that joy because we lose sight of what the Messiah is supposed to be to us. He is supposed to be king, and we lose joy when we try to take the crown off of him and put it on our own life. Because nothing makes sense when that happens. Psalm 51, 12 says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. This psalm is written by David, who was king. And he says, I know I need the joy back. And I've been doing things on my own. And this is actually a, 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 a psalm where he's confessing his sin. I've blown it, God. I've tried to take you and make me like you, and that's not right. Bring me the joy again of my salvation. And when you do that, when you see Jesus Christ today as your Messiah, as your Christ, and you trust him and you look into his leadership that is honorable and holy and righteous, full of integrity and full of hope, when you begin to submit yourself and place yourself under him, your joy will increase, your love will deepen even more. 
which leads us to the last thing he says here, that through our Lord we have peace. He is Savior, he is Messiah, he is Lord. As Savior, our fears can be removed. As our Messiah, we can have joy. And now as our Lord, we have peace. Jumping down into verse 13, as we end the, the, the angel's words, he says this, suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared. A great company is a military term. It's, it basically means a great army came up and filled the sky and appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to, to those on whom his favor rests. Because he's also Lord, there is peace that's available to us. It's on who his favor rests. Another translation says, to that person to whom he is pleased. There's a ton of great news coming up on these hillsides of Bethlehem, but this is more sobering. Because God's glory is always going to be in the highest in the heavens, but this peace on earth is to those to whom he is pleased. Peace isn't guaranteed for everyone. While peace is available to everyone, any tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people. It's available to everyone. It is only experienced by those who are pleasing to God. So the question is, who's pleasing to God? The simplest answer is Jesus. At his baptism, a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased at his transfiguration where his appearance was unveiled for a moment and the disciples were able to see his unvarnished glory, a voice came, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased, listen to him. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life because Jesus is the one that is pleasing to the Father. Your ability, your ability and my ability to be pleasing to God is directly linked to our ability to be connected to Jesus Christ. If you try to please God on your own and say, I'll work harder, I'll do more, I'll try to be kinder, I'll give more money, all of those things are nothing that's gonna please God. The way you please God is by connecting to the one person that is pleasing to God and say, because of Jesus Christ, that is where I place all of my hope and trust. Because when I do that, then I can have peace with the God of the universe. Then I can be made right and I can have a relationship again with the one who loves me. That's why in that carol we sang today, it says, God and sinners reconciled. You see, just because Jesus was born in Bethlehem doesn't guarantee that anyone will have peace with God. We have to act on that. We have to receive the gift from him. One of my heroes in the faith, Corey Tim Boom, said this, if Jesus were born 1,000 times in Bethlehem and not in me, then I would still be lost. It is so true. Just because that historical event happened and he promised peace on earth to those that were pleasing to him, it isn't necessarily you or me unless we act upon that. That's the message of the angels. A savior saves so we don't fear. A Messiah rules so that we can have joy. And a God, a Lord has arrived on the scene that when he says you could have peace, 
It is certain. I bring you good news. Look what the shepherds did with this. Verse 15, and we'll close with this. So they hurried off and found Mary. Oh no, sorry, sorry, what verse for that? When the angels, verse 15 there, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. I just love again the low, I mean, this is probably not the attitude or the emotion behind it. Guys, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that was explained to us so gratefully. These guys are like, are you kidding me, dude? What do you think? That's hit the road. Now, I'm just fascinated what happened to all the sheep that they're watching. I actually think some wild animals might have had a good evening. Because when you get visited by angels filling the sky with the glory of God, telling you that what has been looked upon in human history is the biggest event up to this moment of time, you're going to leave things behind and say, hit the road. Or there was one dude. We're going to meet him in heaven going, yeah, I stayed with the flock. They ran in the old King James with haste. With, they hurriedly left. They flew. I love that end of that story here. In your notes, you'll see that carol again. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. I'm gonna let you know God is gonna have something for you this Christmas season if you're listening. If you could tune out just the chaos around you for a while, there's things that he's gonna say to your soul that he wants you to to sit on. He's been pursuing you. He's been speaking to you. He's been trying to wake you up. He's been trying to draw you back to the joy of your salvation. And this angel song is a reminder of that. That in Jesus Christ, you have everything that you need to have the best Christmas you've ever had. God loves you so much. You don't have to try harder to please him. It is placing your faith and trust in what he's already done for you. So I'm gonna encourage you as we jump into this series of these leading lines that you lean into those. And even this week, as you're driving around, as you're shopping, as you're working, as you're parenting, whatever it might be, as you're doing classes, remember the good news. That your fear can be gone, your joy could just be blown wide open. And you could actually have peace that never gets taken away from you. Let's pray. If you're here with us today in this room or in any of our campuses or even online, and maybe you've heard something of a Christmas story in the past, but you have never really considered who Jesus is. And these words of the angels that define his character so well is brand new to you. In the, and you know you need to make a decision here. You need to make a decision to give your life over to God. You can do that in a very simple way. First, it's admitting you're a sinner who needs a savior. That is so true, and we all know that. None of us are perfect. We all have sinned, and we, we fall short of God's expectations of his glory, and so we could admit our sin, but it's also believing that Jesus Christ 
came. That he was born in Bethlehem as your Savior, your Messiah, and your Lord, but then he lived this perfect life. He died a sacrificial death so that all of the things that you might be punished for would be placed onto him and all of the things that it was his righteousness would be accounted to you. And then it's choosing because both of those could be true and you will still be distant from God. You will not have peace with God until you choose to say, God, you are now my Lord. You are my God and I give you my life. I give you all that I am because I cannot make myself right with you. I accept this gift of salvation. If you just talk to God and tell him those things in your heart right now, the Bible says that you can be and are a new creation. All the old is gone and the new is come. And we want you to tell someone or write that on a note. Let us know the decision you made today. And for the rest of us, Lord, we get caught up in so much of the Christmas season and yet we so often lose sight of the Christ of Christmas, the Messiah. Lord, I pray this season that we would stay attuned to the leading lines of these carols that would draw our hearts back to you, that would bring a measure of joy and peace to the season that we haven't had in a long time. And that we might in these moments love you so deeply because of all that you provided for us. And in doing so, Join the choirs of angels echoing through the heavens. Glory to God on the highest. Glory to the newborn king. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor.